Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your WWE Extreme Rules Instant Analysis. Well, well, Bailey, we're, we're going to talk about how we like that in a little bit because the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, we are both here to break down every single thing that happened on WWE Extreme Rules just minutes after WWE's latest pay-per-view went off the air. We're going to talk about the matches, the results, what we think about the booking and the storylines going forward for WWE. We have plenty to get to in today's show. We are not going to waste time off the top. So I'm going to allow our friend to remind you that getting over. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Be marks for the Silver King for Vintage Christmini. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this podcast and how much you love our instant analysis. Those ratings and reviews really, really help us grow our audience. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, a reminder uh, for those of you who have been longtime listeners and a little bit of information for those of you who may be first-time listeners on how we operate the Instant Analysis podcast here at Getting Over. We only do this on this show. It's the only time we will do it in a given month. We start by cracking open a cold one, and the Silver King is rocking a Kentucky Coffee Barrel Ale from, I believe it's Lexington Brewing Company, wherever. It's a brewery out of Lexington, Kentucky. They make all their beers in bourbon barrels, and this one is among they're most delicious. Chris, what do you have over there? By the way, welcome to the show. Yes, I've got still some of the uh, uh, truly hard seltzers that I got a few weeks back. I've not tried all the flavors yet. This is the wildberry flavor. And uh, so far, they've been pretty good. Let's see how this one is. This is the Lexington Brewing and Distillation Company, by the way, while Chris is drinking that. Uh, this is still good. So shout out to the truly hard seltzer. Yeah, I don't think seltzer goes bad other than like when it goes down your throat. Other than that, you know, I think it's <laughs> I think it's I think it's can say for probably a decade or so. Uh, but yeah, we crack open a cold one here because it's late and we do this show, you know, at the end of our week. So we like to relax just a little bit before we break down whatever pay-per-view we're about to break down. We do these for every WWE and AEW pay-per-view along with NXT takeovers. So it's great to have you all here with us. Now, we're going to get into this WWE Extreme Rules card. It was not a deep card, very shallow in terms of number of matches, but the sh- the bouts that were booked were pretty interesting and pretty exciting. And, you know, I, I was amped up going into the show. I think, Chris, uh, both you and I were around a B or a B plus in our pre-show expectation grades going into WWE Extreme Rules. And in our viewer poll, our listener poll, I should say, no one really watches us. Uh, they listen to us. Uh, 8% of you, said that you expected Extreme Rules to be an A, 65% a B, 25% a C, and 2% a DRF. And going in thinking this would be a DRF show, I just, we always, you know, think that's ridiculous. But really, this is a flat B show, is what you guys thought, which is basically where you and I were going into it. And I got to say, even when they added out of nowhere uh, a six-man tag team match, New Day against Bobby Lashley, Omas and AJ Styles, and that ended up being the opening match of the pay-per-view, I was still in that B range. I was happy the match was added to the show, Chris, but I didn't necessarily think it amped it up into an A range or anything like that. No, because I, I mean, 
all of my picks coming in were champions retaining. I didn't see anything major happening on the show. I was also excited when that match got added, but uh, you, you kind of had a feeling for how everything was going to go, and that's why I just wasn't as excited as I'd been for a WWE pay-per-view in, in a bit. Agreed. Uh, so, yeah, WWE, let's also set the stage here. For the last, you know, what, 14 months, I don't think they've missed on pay-per-view. I mean, some have been no. really good. Some have been, you know, great. And some have been good. But rarely, I don't think they've ever given us a bad pay-per-view over the last 12 to 14 months after a couple of hiccups they had early on during the pandemic. And that's been a banner for WWE, especially while Raw has been pretty consistently shitty, right? Uh, the mm -hmm. fact that you knew you could turn into a pay-per-view and leave thinking it was in a B or an A range, that was a pretty nice a pretty nice deal. And I think, you know, you and I had that same expectation coming into this one. So the way we do this instant analysis, again, for any first-time listeners, is we start with the main event and we work our way down the card. It's really the exact opposite way of how we do our ultimate previews, where we start with the low card and work to the high card. We want to make sure we hit the big topics right off the top. And Chris, let's get into this uh, WWE Extreme Rules instant analysis Unless I miss something, is there anything else we need to talk about? It feels like this intro is really, really quick this time. I don't know. I don't know. Other than to say that uh, while we were preparing, I started watching the Seth Rollins Broken Skull Sessions, and it was actually really interesting. And I'm excited to watch the rest of it later. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it, it was a, it was a, it was a small card. Um, the first small card we've had, I think, with fans back, which now feels normal. Right, uh, fans being back, and um, yeah, they're. I, I think part of it too is. Football has now started, and you and I cover college football. I think this is the first pay-per-view, WWE pay-per-view, I think. Since, During the season, yes. Since, since college football started. So we've yeah. been busy this weekend. You had Ryder Cup stuff as well. So it kind of snuck up. I mean, we did the instant analysis. I woke up today. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a pay-per-view tonight. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And on top of that, too, usually we have some other things to talk about, like uh, with SummerSlam or even with the latest AEW pay-per-view or the uh, special show on Wednesday that they had the Grand Slam. We're talking about the aesthetic and like all the accoutrement that kind of, you know, surround it. This was a regular pay-per-view. It was a regular yeah. setup. It was not a special show. Uh, it was not in a stadium or anything like that. So really, we're just talking about the matches. And you know what? We're wasting time. Let's get right to it. The main event of the evening, the Universal Championship defended Roman Reigns against the Demon Finn Balor in an Extreme Rules match. Now, SmackDown on Friday does happen uh, between our Ultimate Preview podcast and our Instant Analysis. So I don't like to completely skip over everything that happened on SmackDown. So despite me having a ton of notes on this thing that happened with Roman Reigns and Montez Ford, we're going to talk about it briefly. We're not going to go into great detail on it simply because we need to get to this main event because it's so newsworthy. But long story short, Ford cut a promo on SmackDown. He called the uh, the Usos bloodline bitches. It pissed Roman Reigns off. He challenged him to a match. Ford took the match. It was a really nice surprise that we're getting Roman Reigns versus Montez Ford in the main event out of nowhere. The match was not an incredible match by any means, but it was very good. And Ford got a lot of offense on Reigns. It was super fun. I think I gave it like a 3.25 stars. And Reigns ultimately tapped Ford out in the guillotine. Uh, Chris, before we move on here, let me state, I love Montez Ford. I love Roman Reigns. I thought this was really cool that they did it. My concern coming out of it, in addition to 
you know, making sure Monster's form was okay because he got speared into like next Tuesday and then he got the guillotine strapped on him uh, is I was really concerned that like someone in particular would have seen that match and said, what is Montez Ford doing with Angelo Dawkins? We should split these guys up. Yeah, I, I mean, and we'll get to it later, but they keep saying as they preview the draft, Ugh, the Street Profits could be split up. And I feel like they're trying to prepare us for that and are again trying to prepare us for that with this singles match. They but said it with ex- New Day. They've said it with like, they said it with like three different yeah. teams. And it's like, you, why are you saying that as if it's a good thing that we're excited about? Right. It's not, but, you know? but overall loved that they had a, a Roman Montez Ford match kind of announced um, that that's, that's an all again, that's an awesome new different thing that WWE has been trying to give us more of. And then the real reason that we were mentioning SmackDown is after the match, Heyman grabbed the mic. Uh, he said, rain should take it to the extreme. He did the ECW voice and rain starts beating down Ford. The Usos start beating down Ford. Um, he screams at Ford, who's the bitch now? Suddenly the lights go out. The demon is suddenly standing atop the ring post. Uh, he jumps down, splashes all three of them, grabs a kendo stick, beats on the Usos. Then he hits a sling blade, wears out Reigns with a chair, hits a great Topicon hero, and he stands tall over Reigns, ending SmackDown. I thought that was tremendously executed. You knew Balor was going to come out. And for him to be standing tall on that post with his arms out looked incredible. And then at the end of the show, he looked awesome as well. As enthusiastic as I had been going into Extreme Rules at the idea of putting the title on Balor, it ratcheted ratcheted me up even more in this spot. Of course, Chris, Balor standing tall over Reigns on the go-home is generally a telegraph that he's not going to be winning the title and that Reigns is going to retain because that's what WWE always does. But still... It really amped me up, and it was a great go-home moment ahead of Extreme Rules. Yeah, it was. Th- those are the good go-home moments when it's like, okay, you know they're telling us he's going to lose, but it's still really cool to see this. And then that's what it did. It did. Okay, let's get into what happened Sunday night. So Heyman was on the phone backstage when Kayla Braxton interrupted him, and we he went off on her despite her never even insinuating he was talking to Brock Lesnar. As far as the match, Reigns and Balor, they both had incredible entrances. The Demons was particularly special. He looked like money. Reigns pulled out a kendo stick. Balor pulled out four wrapped together to a huge ovation. Smoke billowed from under the ring. Balor hit a double stomp into a chair on Reigns, pulled out a table. The crowd went crazy. Reigns hit a drive-by, threw Balor over the barricade, and put on a mask. And Pat McAfee did a great job explaining Reigns didn't want to share the same air as the (laughs) WWE universe, which is both true in kayfabe and not, but just for different reasons. I thought that was really smart and really well done by Pat. McAfee was on fire on this show. He was tremendous. And that's just one of many examples. It is. Yes, you're right. So they fought into a sectioned off area, which was the kickoff show desk, which was very smart. It was all for safety. Uh, Balor jumped off the desk, putting Reigns through a table with a crossbody. Balor has sling blade back in the ring, but Balor put Reigns through a table with the Uranagi for a two count. Let me flip that around. Reigns put Balor uh, through a table with the Uranagi. They traded strikes and Balor kicked out of a Superman punch. Heyman then motivated Reigns and Reigns starts going off, pumping himself up, screaming at the crowd about how great he is. Balor countered his spear with a kick and hit a sling blade, but Reigns countered his missile drop kick with the spear and Balor kicked out at 2.9 with the left arm low blow exactly the way Reigns did it in their match and Reigns did it previously. I forget if it was Owens or Brian or whoever, but he, I think it was Brian, uh, but he did it before then as well. Balor hit an incredible Tope Con Hero 
and a coup de gras, but the Usos pulled Balor out by the legs to a ton of boots. The crowd was going wild for it. Uh, they threw Balor into the barricade, hit a double super kick and set up a table, but Balor immediately came to powerbomb Jay into the announce table and then Reigns out of nowhere spears Balor through the barricade. We see that a ton of times, but it's always big meaty men slapping meat. It's Lashley and Big E, you know, equivalent, or Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns. It's never really Reigns doing it to a smaller guy. And when they did this spot, Chris, the barricade exploded into like four pieces. It wasn't one piece that fell down. The whole thing fell down. It was great. Right, exactly. The the entire part, the the entire side of the barricade, including the the, the part that's near the announce table, the whole thing was gone. It, it was like the biggest one of these we've ever seen that really added to the moment. And this match at this point is at a fever pitch. We got to, we got to note like, yeah, it could have ended. Reigns could have rolled them in the ring, hit another spear and won, And we would have been disappointed that Balor didn't win, but it would have been fine. Right? Like we would have said, okay, that's the finish. The match was awesome. Great job. Praise like raining praise down on extreme rules. So Balor's laying on his chest on the ground. Reigns looks dead also. And suddenly, a heartbeat sound starts playing over the loudspeakers. And then after that, a red light starts flashing. And then the demon's music starts playing. And Balor starts convulsing, like he's getting uh, shocked with like the paddles, you know, like you get in the hospital. Um, Shock paddles, I guess is probably what they're called. Uh, And it seems like he's getting revived just by like a spirit, a demonic spirit. He comes to... And the crowd loses its shit. Like, they're loving it. I'm loving it. Tell me right now, were you loving that as well or no? It was corny, but I loved it. And the fact that the crowd loved it made me love it. It felt different than when they go all red with The Fiend. Right. And you're instantly like, oh, God, no, what's going to happen? But, like, the music, like, helped. Like, like it's, it was it, like a soundtrack to the moment, essentially. It, it and, and felt it, like it, it added it, to it. It felt like we were seeing... In all, like not an all time moment, like in in the history of wrestling, but a moment that you will remember. Yeah. Like this is something awesome WWE is about to do. That's what it felt like to me when that was all happening. Balor stands up. The crowd goes crazy. He wears Reigns out with a chair, drop kicks him. Reigns flies through the air and then into and down through a table. Then Balor oh, that was ro- awesome. That then, was awesome, by the way. He jumped backwards so far. It was so dangerous perfect. to do that. It was so dangerous, by the way. Was, <laughs> yeah, did it perfect. It was, it was freaking incredible. So Balor rolls him into the ring. He stands on the top rope, and he's going to hit the coup de grace, pin Reigns, and become the new Universal Champion. The crowd is going absolutely ballistic. Because, Chris, what I told you on this podcast, what we discussed on the Ultimate Preview two weeks ago, three weeks ago, is that if WWE strapped up Finn Balor, it's that differentiator they need to kind of say to AEW, we can do exciting shit too. Even though I don't think most of the things they do is about AEW, they still, they they put the title on Big E, right? They did things, they're doing things to make themselves relevant and make people want to tune into the show. They have Balor on the top rope. They are ready to accomplish it. The crowd is going crazy. And the top rope randomly breaks. Balor falls face first onto the canvas. He starts grabbing his left knee as if he tore an ACL or something. And Reigns spears him, which he did earlier and Balor kicked out. But he spears him this time. 
for the one, two, three. So the match, the match was incredible, but we have to start with the finish. We'll get back <laughs> yeah, to the match. Yeah, we do. Yeah, okay. we do. <laughs> WWE successfully did every single thing necessary to set up what you and I, every fan in attendance, and probably everyone watching at home wanted. A Balor win over Roman Reigns. They created the perfect scenario. This demonic guy having an entire second win from forces beyond anyone's control, including even the tribal chief, the smoke, the red lights. An ideal situation to beat Reigns without hurting him at all. Nothing would have been lost with, for Roman Reigns getting pinned in that moment. He could have lost the title and not been diminished in the eyes of anyone kayfabe or non-kayfabe. The match with Lesnar still would have been important. Reigns would have a case for a rematch, and you probably give him the rematch after Survivor Series in December, or you do it in January at the Royal Rumble. You let him win the title back. It's all perfect. It all works out. And then, probably because in their misguided mind, they thought we would like it, they used this entire perfect scenario that they created, this hard work that WWE created, because it was creative. You can't get away with saying it wasn't. They create this perfect scenario, and they use it as a swerve to keep the title on Roman Reigns by having the top rope break for no reason whatsoever. There was no stress put on it earlier, maybe by Omos doing a splash or sitting on the top rope. The Usos didn't mess with it. Paul Heyman did not have a tool in his hands. Maybe he could have been screwing with it. Any of those things would have lent credence to the top rope breaking. Instead, it just broke. It wasn't nearly as bad. In my opinion, it was not in the same universe as The Fiend and Seth Rollins and Hell in a Cell. That was one of the worst things of all time. This was not. But this is exactly, Chris, what I feared in our ultimate preview. They brought the demon back for no reason just to have Balor lose the match. Did they give him an excuse? Sure. Did the excuse make any sense? No, it did not. It is it is tried and true that if WWE puts two people together and you think, how can either of these people lose? They will give you a fucked up finish. A screwy ending to try to protect somebody that in the end only makes everybody look like garbage. And that's exactly what this was. I Like, people are theorizing that Paul Heyman might have done something. Did, did you see him walk around? Like, I don't know. Even if he did, you you can't wait till Friday to reveal that because everyone's going to exactly. shit on your... Everyone's going to shit on what you did here. Like, like it's... Oh, my God. Like you, know, you, you, you nailed it, and that's what I said, too. It's... If, if Paul Heyman, if a camera cut to him during the celebration and he had a tool in his hands or he yes. threw, a, threw a tool under the ring or something like that, it's perfect. It's fine. Like, it, I, I'm, not, not, I'm not complaining about it. You know what I mean? A, it doesn't feel stupid. It feels right. bad. Right. It doesn't feel stupid. And watching that finish makes you feel stupid. Finn Balor's like 200 pounds. He's not... We, you know, we 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 had Sheamus and Damian Priest and people up there like earlier in the on top ropes and they didn't break. Like Finn, it's gonna break for tiny ass Finn Balor. Like 
that that's what we're supposed to think right now. They may reveal later or something else, but it doesn't matter because right now we're supposed to think that. And it's it's idiotic. It makes you feel stupid. Or it, it, earlier it, earlier in the match, the Usos run down. They start messing with the top rope because they know his finish is the coup de gras, but they don't finish it. Bal- you know, Balor knocks them out, whatever. And then and when he tries to get up and do it, it turns out they did mess with it and it breaks and he falls. There are so many ways, Chris. There's so many freaking ways they could have done the same finish they wanted to do, even though it's not nothing that we actually wanted or liked. There's so many ways they could have done it where it would at least make sense. And it, they just couldn't do it. They've, it, they've perfectly booked Roman Reigns for 500 days and somehow screwed this up. It's mind-numbing to me. It makes the demon look like a goober because he just revived himself from a bomb exploding as he got speared into the barricade. He survived that and he was back up and ready to go. But then he trips and falls and he's hurt. And oh, my knee, it's like Peter from Family Guy, like tripping on the freaking sidewalk. Yeah. Like, oh, my knee, my knee. And then I'm speared and it's over. Like, like he trips and falls and the lights turn back on. Like it just, it just ended everything. <laughs> just because just he tripped trip and fell, all of a sudden the all powerful demon tripped on something. And now he's, now he's just good <laughs> Lord, man. Like, that's the kind of thing that hurts the demon to see him lose like that. It, like you think you're protecting Finn Balor by doing that, but you're not right. right. You're, you're, you're taking away mystique. And speaking of the demon, holy crap. If you took a drink every time they said the demon, they, I don't know if they ever referred to him as Finn Balor. They, they said the demon like 10 times in the first 30 seconds of this match. It was the only way they referred to him. It was super annoying. Even though he has Balor written on his back, we know it's Finn Balor. They, it was like the Demon Kane thing all over again. Just annoyed the crap out of me early on in the match. Oh my god! They even made a point to say before the match that the Demon has never lost in WWE. I know he lost in NXT, but like they built him up so well. The video package before the match, <laughs> fantastic, so good. WWE video team undefeated i was so excited for chris, this match ev- after chris, that everything video. about this i gotta say like i know for some people the demon may not work for you that's okay but everything about this storyline from the stuff with john cena where it started all the way through now they, they put together a multi-month storyline and yeah. and they built it perfectly every single thing they did was perfect literally perfect until the finish of the match, until the final 30 seconds. And it's Which, WWE again, not being able to get out of its own way. We had LOL yep. Cena wins. We had LOL Roman wins. And we thought that was over, even though Reigns has had this really long streak. It's different. He's a heel. We like to boo him. It's, it's good. Now it's LOL Tribal tri- Chief wins. Because in no scenario, he can be handcuffed to the bottom of a, a thing and should be getting counted to 10, uh, but somehow the referee stops counting and then gets taken out. Um, or he can be, you know, fighting a demonic character. He can be on a two-on-one. It wasn't even a handicap match. It was a triple threat match at WrestleMania with two of the other greatest wrestlers of all time. Yet somehow he not only wins, he stacks both of them and wins. Um, he can yeah. be, he can beat The Fiend. He can beat Braun well, Strowman. Cool. It was, I'm not saying all these are bad. I'm not saying any of the, those prior but, ones No, here's bad. the thing. I'm all just saying- of those- all of those made him look good. That's the, that like you, you could hate the booking of Roman winning, but they added to his mystique. This finish helped nobody. 
That's it doesn't the... make Roma look any better. It doesn't make the demon look protected. It makes him look like an idiot. But that's and everybody looks dumb for the finish. But that's the thing I'm saying. That's what I was getting to. The whole point of building Roman Reigns through all of that stuff that we talked about previously is to put a face over in the end. Yeah. It's so that the person who beats him is super mega over. Who is that person going to be now? Because Biggie is WWE champion. Kevin Owens had a shot and his contract is expiring. Daniel Bryan's gone. Edge is seemingly not going to be it, nor is he the newer type of person who, who you would want to put over in this spot. Seth Rollins is a heel. We think Drew McIntyre is probably going to get sm- uh, drafted to SmackDown. Okay, maybe Drew, but does he need that? Not really. No. Does Balor get another chance? Or did we really go through, Chris, 500 days with Reigns as champion, nearly perfect? I know some people have problems with how much time he got on TV or some of the little pieces of it, but the booking of Roman Reigns was nearly perfect this entire time. He's been amazing. Did we really go through 500 days of this so that they can change the title and put it on Brock Lesnar in fucking Saudi Arabia? I didn't think it was possible, but after this finish, after this pre-pandemic WWE type of finish, where, where this was the kind of that's what it was. That's true. Time, yep. I'm now. I'm fully believing it's possible. I didn't think it was possible when Brock came back that he would win the title, but now if we're going to be back to this type of stuff, I think it's possible. Now. It almost feels like it almost feels like Lesnar wins the title, Reigns wins the Royal Rumble. Reigns, Lesnar at WrestleMania, Reigns wins the title back. Like, if that's it, I mean, holy shit. I can't even imagine what I'll think or what I'll say if that's what they're actually doing. Maybe it's not. Maybe we're just maybe we're just going down this hole of negativity right now and we're trying to, you know, think about how bad can it actually get. Because the truth is, this match, again, up until the finish, was very good, man. The match mm-hmm. was great, actually. With a real finish, I probably would have gone 4.75 stars with an A+, but the finish didn't let me get there, and it probably cut the grade down, because even though I will admit that it's creative, it was nonsensical, and I just want to clarify as well, I am not being a hypocrite, because I said on the Ultimate Preview, if they don't change the title, I'm not going to downgrade the match. I don't... I I wanted Balor to win. I thought he was going to win. But I said, if they didn't do that, that doesn't necessarily automatically make it bad. WWE would have to do something to make it bad. Well, they did. (laughs) They they did something to give us a bad finish. So this potential 4.75 star A plus match, I was ready to do it. I wrote the number down. That's why I'm reading it to you. I dropped it to 4.25 stars in an A because you just can't discount the incredible, I don't know how long the match was, but if it was 25 minutes, you can't discount the first 24 minutes and 30 seconds of the entire thing. Because all of that, to me, as a wrestling fan, was perfect. Yeah, the, the match was awesome. I love the, I mean, I love the way they played out the mask thing. I thought that was just honestly really interesting. And and frankly, I mean, frankly, if they don't think it's safe, maybe just don't do it that way. I don't know, go backstage behind the the titantron or something i i don't know um but it's it still worked the stuff that they did it, in terms of it being extreme it was basically what candlesticks a chair and tables I think that was about it um and but it was still like you were really into it and in watching that pre-match video i was just thinking man 
we might have we might end this night with the WWE champions being Biggie and Finn Balor. What How kind exciting of is that? What right? kind of statement is that making about about your 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 feelings on newer, different talent? I know Finn is actually older, I think, than Roman, but 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 just fresh faces at the top of the card here. And like, man, this could really kind of like set it off in a new direction, whether or not you think it's a response to AEW. This is like this feels like it's possible. And Yep. Then you get that finish and you're like, oh, no, no, this is the same. This is the same company, the one that we hadn't quite seen for two years. You know, the pandemic forced them to do some things, a lot of which worked well. But now we're going to do this where they they gave us a biggie cash in and announced it. And you're thinking, oh, man, how are they going to screw this up? And they don't. And biggie wins it. And there's so many moments where you're like, oh, how are they going to screw this up? The, tri- the triple threat match to end Raw. Oh no, they gave us a, a, a clean finish. Cool. That's pretty cool. And now you go into this pay-per-view and you're like, nah, nah, we still got we still got some of these screwy finishes up our sleeve in, in, in the biggest moments. And it's just like, man, I, I picked Roman to win. I think Roman's been a great champion. I like you think Roman winning would have been fine. But to do it like that is like I just want to know what the like what the purpose is. Is the entire thought process Oh, we're gonna protect Finn because it's gonna be a fluke, and so therefore, like, yes, it's do, the, do the, feel- the entire purpose was by doing this finish, we're protecting the demon, we're protecting Finn Balor, because in any other circumstance, without this fluke happening that never happens on its own in matches, this guy would have been the new Universal Champion. You and you can't do that in the middle of a spooky, correct? Uh, Here's the paranormal thing. Here's finish. The thing. That's the thing. Each finish. The Balor resurrection, the demon resurrection, and the top rope, you know, screw job or whatever it's going to end up being. I'm sure they'll, exp- I'm sure they'll try to explain it on Friday. But as you said, five days later, that doesn't really help, right? You need to do it on the night, on their own individually. Both of them would have been fine. The demon yeah. thing, in my opinion, would have been great with him winning. The top rope screw job, if you had actually like shown it or done something like that on its own is a totally fine way to get Balor to lose as a fluke if he's not the demon or even if he is the demon and is not resuscitated, right? On their own, both of those would have totally worked. But together, they don't work because you're taking your fans. No one on this podcast right now, in case you're thinking this, is angry about being swerved. I'm not angry about being swerved. They did succeed in swerving me. But it was in nonsensical way they the, the swerve yeah really count in a swerve. way that does not it's, make sense yes. it's a fluke it's not a swerve i mean technically <laughs> yeah in, in well, i'm saying Abe, a booking it's a, swerve a booking in swerve, K, yeah. right in cave a it's a, it's a we weren't tricked or it's not like there was somebody else we just it was a fluke finish to the main event of the pay-per-view like it's 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 like game seven of a of a of a of a hockey game like ending on like an old like an own goal or something like that no you know what it literally is it's the buffalo wild wings commercial guys running to the end zone on a kickoff return touchdown someone hits a button somewhere a sprinkler (laughs) pops up the guy trips over it and he falls and the game's over that's what happened yeah and your reaction would be the same all right we've talked about this match enough we did we love the match love the people involved i could i could talk about it for another 30 minutes you're right we do need to move on but last thing and then we'll then we'll move on did you notice that first of all, they only referred to Balor as the demon the entire right. match. Yeah, and not totally. only that, Michael Cole, probably on his own, I would, if one of you rewatches that match, 
and has the patience to count, <laughs> I would set an over-under of 150 times Michael Cole said the demon. Not Pat McAfee, he did too. Yep. But I think Michael Cole said it three times a sentence. The demon does this, and then the demon this, yeah. and demon. I was like, holy shit. Like, you don't do that for the beast Brock Lesnar. You don't call <laughs> Drew McIntyre the Scottish warrior off the top rope. Oh my God, the Scottish warrior with the one, two, three. Like, holy shit. This is still Finn Balor at the end of the day. Like, you know, I, I, they did it for the Fiend Bray Wyatt, but the Fiend was literally a completely different character from Bray Wyatt. This is yeah. the demon Finn Balor. It's just a version of Finn Balor. It really pissed me off. Also, again, like I said, he literally had Balor painted on his back. On his fucking back. <laughs> so, yeah. Also, a couple of times he just said demon instead of the demon. I think it just kind of highlighted how ridiculous oh trying to say it all those times. Come on, man. All right. We're, we're going to move on. Con- by the way, that doesn't help us connect with him as a character. It does not. You're the, right. the idea is that it's supposed to be inside of him. So, yeah. We'll move on just to end this, to put a bow on it. The match was great. The finish was terrible. Yeah, I was so hyped for that finish. Like, you don't build us. Like, they got us. We were, everybody, the crowd, we were into that finish. And then to have it of a fluke, that's like a middle finger to the fan. That's like, oh, that's not, oh, we got one over on you. Paul Heyman pulls out a screwdriver and ha, 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 ha. It's literally, he looks like a doofus. And And, it sucks. And again, the comparisons will be made to Seth Rollins, uh, The Fiend, um, Hell in a Cell match. This is nowhere near as bad as that. No, this is bad. No. It's that was atrocious. That was maybe the worst booking decision in WWE in the last decade. This is just a bad booking decision that is typical WWE seeming to be going down the right path and then falling flat on their face by their own doing, not getting out yep. of their own way. That's what it is. Okay, let's move on to the co-main event, which was the SmackDown Women's Championship. Becky Lynch defending against Bianca Belair on SmackDown. There was a confrontation. WWE recapped Balor's celebration in Knoxville. And then Becky in the ring recapped it again on the mic. Like, you don't need to do that. Um, Belair came out. Lynch talked about being the EST means you always need to be ready. She wasn't at SummerSlam. Belair went down her credentials. She said that she won the women's title faster than Becky ever did. There was an attack. Bianca countered the manhandle slam into a kiss of death. Then later, uh, Lynch cut a promo backstage saying winning is winning no matter how you do it. I thought it was a really hot promo segment. And what really impressed me, it got the crowd going to open the show. It sold the match. They didn't need to come back out later in the show to do it. And it really proved that Bianca Belair has improved so much on the mic by working with Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. And those being her two major feuds on SmackDown to this point, she is already not just a main eventer in name, because she was the champion and she won at WrestleMania, she is presented and she presents yes. herself like a main eventer on the level of the four horsewomen. Yep, a hundred percent. It's the exact opposite that they have not been doing with Rhea Ripley and didn't at WrestleMania and something like that too. She is a big deal, and that's why after SummerSlam, you know, when everybody was rightfully pissed off about the Becky Lynch, however many seconds. That was 26 seconds. It wasn't. We, we, we said then we said this is not going to be Kofi Kingston where he, she shuffled off to the mid card. She is a star. They treat her like a star. They're going to continue to treat her like a star in the half. So let's get to the match at Extreme Rules. It seemed like there were cheers uh, for Becky almost 100 percent. 
and a 50-50 yep. reaction to Bianca Belair right before the bell, which was strange. And then suddenly there was a huge EST chant, loud dueling chants for both women. The crowd was hot as hell for this match. Yeah. There were, there were a bunch of failed finisher attempts early. Lynch healed it up by taunting the crowd and showing off a bunch of new moves. Belair came back with a bunch of offense, including a great delayed vertical suplex. Becky pulled Bianca off the top rope by her braid. They did a tug of war and Belair slammed her with a near fall. Belair then caught and reversed a crossbody into a fallaway slam for a 2.5 count. Belair tried to press Becky off the top rope, but Lynch countered with a crucifix pinfall and to disarm her. Bianca broke it with the ropes. Uh, Lynch reversed a glam slam outside, throwing Belair into the steps before hitting a flying leg drop for a near fall. Lynch dropped another flying leg drop onto Belair. She was draped over the middle rope. Belair and Lynch fought through a disarmer as Bianca finally broke it with a lifted powerbomb for a 2.8 count. Belair then lifted Lynch from a disarmer into the kiss of death, but out of nowhere, Sasha Banks returned to attack Belair and prevent the finisher with a disqualification. Becky gave Sasha a thumbs up and the entire crowd all the way around was on its feet this entire time. Banks then attacked Lynch, backstabbed Belair, backstabbed Lynch, and then stood tall to a mix of cheers and boos. The crowd wasn't totally sure what to do. Uh, the finish, Chris, is exactly what I expected. I discussed it on the Ultimate Preview. I discussed it on the live pre-show that we did on Twitter Spaces before Extreme Rules. As we talked about on the Ultimate Preview, neither Lynch nor Belair was really in position to take a loss here. Sasha's interference creates a big money triple threat match, and it seems like it's coming this Friday night on SmackDown. This is Banks' character. She always has to be the center of attention. She always has to insert herself in situations that she's not otherwise involved in. She's done this return like five or six times, but it works every single time. The match doesn't get as good of a grade without a finish, just like the men, and just like Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson in AEW, but I'm happily going to go 4.25 stars and an A here because the finish didn't detract from the match, which it did for the main event. They were great together, even with Becky getting her legs under her a little bit. And the presumed triple threat is going to result probably in whoever loses that match being drafted over to Raw. But I loved this. I thought it was great. And Chris, the last thing I'll say, I'll let you get in. And Chris, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you get in. DQ finishes are not all created equal. Most of the ones we get on WWE television, on Raw and SmackDown, they're unnecessary and they're only used as a device to further extend a storyline between two people that should have ended probably two or three matches prior. In this particular case, a disqualification not only made complete sense given what happened at SummerSlam, but it was perfectly done. So while normally I would say, oh my God, I can't believe they gave us a DQ finish on a pay-per-view, I have zero issue with this one. So I, I think my feeling at the time is different than my feeling now because we know how the show ended. At the time, I had the similar thoughts. I was kind of annoyed. Actually, let me pull up. I want to see how long this... Uh, I'll do it. You keep talking. How, how long this um match was. But I, I want to say... 20 minutes or something like that. And to end it with just someone running in is kind of like, oh man, that's kind of frustrating. Six, 16 minutes, 30 seconds was the match. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of annoying to kind of have uh, a, a DQ after a 15 minute, really hard fought match. But it's Sasha Banks and it's a big deal that she's back. 
and clearly they're setting up some sort of triple threat, and I'm excited for that. So I I'm cool with it. And 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 and, and as for the match, I probably give it about four. You know, the, the whole match was it was built around Becky trying to get the disarmor in, and Bianca was just like continually blocking it. At first, I was like, does she not know how to take it, or is she just fighting a way out of it? And Becky couldn't get it, and it was telling a good story. And then you're kind of wondering, like, Bianca's clearly like just bigger and stronger than Becky. Why doesn't she just overpower her? And then it built to that moment where she lifts her up out of the disarmor. Crowd went nuts. Awesome moment. And Sasha comes in and kind of ruins it. So at the time I was like, all right, you know, I'm still, I'm still excited for where this goes. Um, Hey, you know, WWE, when they have, like I said before, two people, you're not sure if either one of them can really take the loss. They'll give you a screwy finish. But then as we sit here and now talking about it, this match was largely built around these two matches and we got two screwy finishes. And that's not good that, that that you can't have your big women's match end with a DQ, your big men's match end with a rope breaking. Like, how is that what you send everybody home with? How, how is that like, oh, man, I can't wait to watch Raw tomorrow? Because first of all, Becky Lynch and Bianca are on SmackDown and we're not going to see him till Friday. Same with Roman and Finn. Now, they told us, hey, Big E versus Bobby Lashley on Monday championship match. Sure. But like as that show ended. You're not coming away thinking, man, I can't wait to watch tomorrow. And it's just it's frustrating that they chose to end the show with two finishes like that. And in, in looking back, as opposed to in the moment, that impacts kind of how I feel about it. So that's interesting that you said that, because it's actually a note that I wrote down as well. The first five matches on this show. OK, there were all clean finishes, including when heels won. No Low blows behind the referee's back, no interference, nothing. The Usos and Charlotte Flair, both heels, won their title matches completely clean. And I was going into the co-main event and I was like, wow, you know, this is a really good WWE pay-per-view. Not only because the matches are good and it's exciting, but everything's clean. Like they're giving us exactly Mm -hmm. what a pay-per-view should be, theoretically the end to a bunch of feuds and allowing us to advance beyond then. And then we got to this and I was, because we had just gotten five clean finishes in a row and I knew that we had a huge main event coming up and it was an extreme rules match. It was no DQ. So even if there was interference by the Usos, let's say, it's within the rules, right? It's not really a screw job by any means because it's part of the rules. So I was like, okay, this is really good and I'm I'm enjoying it. And I I was 100% fine with this. Even in retrospect, unlike you, I still don't have a problem with this because you have to look at each match booking individually. But what this does tell me is WWE knew that they were going to do this as the finish because when Becky came in, they had to figure out, well, what are you going to do when Sasha comes back? How are you going to book that? So they knew this was going to be a a DQ kind of screw job, whatever you want to call it type of finish. And then not only did they do it for the main event, but they put the matches back to back. Now, you know, I want a real card built bottom to top. And that's mm-hmm. what this card was. They yep. built this card bottom to top, which is just what I want. They gave us a co-main event, just like I want. But because they did it that way, they put these two matches back to back. Had Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair either opened the show or been the mid-show main event with this, and then we got two clean finishes and Flair and Bliss and Priest Hardy and Sheamus, and then we got the main event, it would have been a bit more palatable 
to say, okay, there were seven matches on the show. Only two of them were screwy finishes. But because they were back to back to end the show, it heightened the awareness of both of them. Yep. Yep. Also, by the way, one Extreme Rules match had an Extreme Rules pay-per-view. And and you know what's crazy about that also? Is we had a triple threat match, which is a no DQ match, but they didn't use it. Which I hate, but yes. But they had it. They could have done it. And Jeff Hardy they was did, in the match. They did, right. They did mention it. They, I mean, they said, hey, rope break, it doesn't matter because there's no DQ. But yeah, they never. They never did anything with it. Yeah. We'll get into that match in a minute. But yeah, it, it's it's just a surprising way to end a show with two screwy finishes. It was indeed. It was indeed. OK, let's keep going here. We have the United States Championship that we're just talking about. Damian Priest against Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. It was chaotic after the bell. Sheamus darted Priest into the ring post and hit Hardy with an Irish curse. Hardy took out both men with Whisper in the Wind for a near fall on Sheamus. Then Hardy kicked out after an Alabama slam from Sheamus. Hardy reached the ropes during a cloverleaf, as you just mentioned, but rules do not dictate a break. He nearly submitted when Priest broke it up, ripped off Sheamus' mask, and kicked him in the face. Hardy broke up white noise on Priest and took Sheamus out with a twist of fate, but Priest bell-clapped Hardy. They fell backwards. It was a little bit of a botch as Hardy tried to counter the reckoning into a twist of fate, but he stood up and was able to hit it on him anyway. Sheamus pushed Hardy into the ropes on a swanton bomb attempt, then went for a rare high-risk move. And while he was on the top rope, he did the DX chop and Hardy's mannerisms before nailing a flying knee. Priest dodged a bro kick, but chokeslammed Sheamus off the top rope. Hardy broke the fall with a swanton bomb in a really, really sick spot. Priest was flying off the ropes doing a springboard when Sheamus caught him with a bro kick. And Hardy nearly took advantage, but Priest kicked out at 2.9. Then Sheamus nailed Hardy with the brogue. He fell out of the ring and Priest rolled up Sheamus for the win. Priest and Hardy then shook hands after the bell with Hardy basically putting Priest over. So while I'd have liked a little bit more of a definitive, decisive win for Priest, the finish was so chaotic with all the finishers and and stuff that a roll-up actually, in my opinion, made total sense in the moment. I thought the match completely over-delivered. I was annoyed initially going in that they added Hardy to the match because it didn't make any sense from a storyline standpoint. But man, he made it exciting. You know, we do like. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. We do like it, Chris, when two big meaty men bump meat. But sometimes you need that extra element. This was the best Hardy has looked in the ring. I think in two years, all three of these guys got over in the match. Again, three matches in a row. I'm at 4.25 stars in an A. I loved this. And like I said, it totally over delivered for me. Yeah, I'd probably give it more like 3.75, but it was fun. It it, did, it was a lot higher expect higher than I had expected coming in. Um, I, I wrote down here, I really wish when Sheamus was on the middle rope or top rope doing the Jeff Hardy stuff, I, I was really hoping for a second he was about to break out a swanton, which would have been amazing. I was disappointed when he didn't do that. Um, Priest's kick out after he took the knee. That that sequence was maybe the most exciting sequence of the whole match. When when, when uh, Hardy got pushed out of the way and he knees Priest in the face, and Priest had a great kick out at two point nine nine nine. Awesome kick out. Crowd bought it. Uh, great stuff. Didn't love ending with a roll up because I'm done with Priest and Sheamus, and I hope we don't get more of this. Um, so we'll see. Because I mean. Hardy got into this match with a kind of roll-up pin of Sheamus as well. So is what it is there. 
And I, I said this in the preview, I want this had to end with Jeff Hardy shaking Priest's hand and basically putting him over at the end. That That's the whole point of this whole thing. And they did it. So that was great. This was this was really well executed. Best case scenario all around in terms of in terms of what we got from this. It really was. Uh, let's move to the Raw Women's Championship. Charlotte Flair defending against Alexa Bliss. Flair used her size and strength to dominate early until Bliss threw her into the bottom turnbuckle with a hurricanrana. Flair swung Bliss into the barricade and then missed a moonsault, but immediately hit a second one for a near fall. Bliss rolled out of natural selection and the women traded near falls. Bliss then hit a Canadian destroyer like she did on Raw for another near fall. Flair avoided twisted Bliss, but Bliss countered the figure eight for a near fall and hit a DDT for another one with Flair getting her foot on the top rope, on the bottom rope, I'm sorry. Uh, Flair grabbed Lily and threw her at Bliss, who caught it and then ate a big boot. Flair tossed Bliss into the ring post and then hit natural selection for the clean one, two, three, and a title retention to a chorus of boos. Flair booted Bliss out of the ring, and then she took Lily, completely tore it apart, stuffing and all. Then she held up the dismembered body like it was a title, like in one hand with that the championship. That was very cool. That was a great image. In the other, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Bliss attacked her from behind, but Flair threw over the announce table and then left. Bliss screamed, and then she cried, trying to put Lily back together. As the fans chanted, thank you, Lily. I have no idea why they chanted, thank you, Lily, but they did. You uh, want to know why? Because that whole post-match bit was about feeling bad for Alexa and Lily. Like, But why they, are they thanking Lily? Because Lily just died. And so they're basically so saying, like, thank they, you for your service. Is that what they're yeah, doing? Yeah, that's what it was. Thank you for your sacrifice that, to the WWE universe. Yeah. That's yeah, that's what they were. That's what they were clearly trying to get out of the crowd in that moment. I don't know what else you expect the crowd. No, no, to. no. I, I'm not. I'm not saying the crowd shouldn't have cheered. I just thought it was a weird chant. That's all I'm saying. No, I, I right. I mean, it was. Yeah, Lily died. <laughs> I just think. Lily. I just think that's a weird. Like, thank you, Lily. Dalton, do shit. That's all. Because well, it. Yeah. Well, it took a while, so you figured they were going to chant something at some point. And I get. Yeah, I'm just saying it was what, a weird chant. That's what came that's to mind. Yeah. That's all no, I'm it was great. Uh, at some point. Um, Alexa put an Alka-Seltzer tablet in her mouth. Uh, the point was to create a foaming look that she was so angry that she was foaming at the mouth after Lily, but she just put it on her tongue and didn't like have, I guess, enough saliva or didn't take a swig of water or didn't do anything to dissolve it. Uh, so as she was screaming and it was sitting on her tongue, you could just see it the entire time on camera. Yeah. So the look, the botch with the Alka-Seltzer aside, I thought this was enjoyable, man. I had low expectations going in because it's a raw match, plus the Hocus Pocus stuff that usually goes with Bliss in big matches. But there was none of that, really. It was well-wrestled. It was clean. There was good psychology. And there was a creative finish. If this is the end of the Bliss character, that would be a welcome change. I'm not sure, and I don't think that's the case. I do think it's the end of Lily, and that's okay. Flair and Bliss delivered what a lot of fans have wanted from them, which is a singles match for a world title. They've wanted that for a long time. And they got me along with it. I got to say, I was at 3.25 stars and a B minus for the match. But the Lily stuff, like it kind of put it over the top a little bit for me just because it was such a good post-match and the acting from Bliss was so good for the entire thing. So I kind of gave it like 3.5 stars and a B. Um, the post-match was funny. I'm not really sure there's another woman in WWE today Maybe ever, but definitely not today. That could have executed that as well as Bliss did. No, no. Uh, Alexa has really carried this character the whole time 
on her own more than any other booking or storytelling or whatsoever. She's incredibly talented. I've said this go it's gone back for a while, but if it, she's been the most talented, essentially actress of anybody, I think on the entire roster in terms of what she does and how much she goes into it. Match was pretty good. You know, the, the, the post match, it just, it like it dragged and I didn't quite get, I didn't quite understand the feeling they wanted me to feel was Alexa. Was this going to like break her? And she was going to, she was starting to pull out her, 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 her hair wrap. And I was thinking, Oh, is she going to like, is this the changing of a character? She's going to just make herself look different. But then she grabs Lily. She's angry, but then she's scooping it up. Is she done with it? Is she not? I couldn't quite figure that out. And, you know, I, I I had said for a while I'd love for the end of this character to be essentially her friend Nikki Cross pulls her out of the darkness, essentially. That was kind of way back when I was like, that would be a good way to get out of this character at some point. I'm just kind of sitting here not knowing if this character is is done or not. I mean, we had the kind of workshoot promo between Charlotte and Alexa last week where they talk about what's original and what's not. And you used to be wrestling for titles. Now you're you're playing with the doll. And Charlotte had a post-match interview, I think on YouTube or something like that. And, and she says this and, and Charlotte says, I wonder how Alexa feels that she didn't win the Raw Women's Championship. That's the problem. I don't want to talk about Lily. Let's talk about Alexa. The Alexa that I faced was the old Alexa. That, that was the Alexa when she held the Raw Women's Championship. She's what, a three or four time Raw Women's Champion? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it, it feels like Charlotte's trying to direct Alexa Bliss back to being old Alexa Bliss. But because she's the heel, are we supposed to not want that? Are we supposed to feel bad that, that this is the true Alexa Bliss because she likes this character? I don't know. On top of all that, the fact that not long ago, two pay-per-views ago, Alexa Bliss had the ability to control somebody with her mind, essentially, and now it's kind of turned to this. It's a weird, it's hard to slow transition out of a character like that. So I'm curious what comes next. I think this character has run its course, but the way that post-match kind of dragged out kind of made me think it didn't. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the only way I can kind of wrap it up is just, it went beyond expectation again for me. Like I, I was kind of low on it and I thought we were going to get a lot of hocus pocus shit. And the fact that we didn't, it kind of went into my feeling, my feeling of positive vibes from the start of the show all the way through really until the final, like three minutes of the entire program, uh, meaning the finish and how they closed the the pay-per-view. I was, I was very positive and maybe some of my grades are a quarter star high because it reflects that because there was nothing to really put me in a bad mood, but I enjoyed this match and I thought it was solid. So yeah, it was. Let's keep going. We got three more. To also, I, actually, actually one, one well, I'll save it for the end. I'll save it for the end. I was going to say something about Peacock in the intros, but I'll save it for the end. Oh my God. We'll get to Peacock. All right. Uh, the SmackDown tag team championships, the Usos and the street profits Montez Ford came in with t- taped up ribs and he sold them early as he was unable to tag Angelo Dawkins, who finally got the hot tag. There was a, we want tables chant for no reason. Uh, whatsoever because it's extreme rules that that it's that's not an why. extreme rules match if they i know a table but that, out, was a pro- that was a problem the fact that you cannot def- stop matches. defending the columbus crowds chance they did not make sense they just didn't i i don't mind I, them I, chanting. I don't, I don't. i'm happy the fans had fun you want to chant 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 it all you want i'm allowed to say it doesn't make sense when you do it though no i know but i'm i'm saying 
this is why something like this should have been make this this should make this a, they should have made this like a tables match or something like that. I okay, but they're not going to do it just because uh, the fans chanted you know five minutes into the match. But. but maybe I don't know. Maybe they think extreme rules every rule has, every match has extreme rules because that's what it used to be. But it I was don't. very strange in a regular tag team match with no yeah. announced stipulation three minutes in to chant we want tables. I'm sorry, it just was. I have yep. to say that uh, Dawkins hit a superplex into a double underhook twisting neckbreaker for a near fall. Then the Prophets hit an assisted flying blockbuster for another. The Usos came back with a double spine buster for a near fall. Uh, Ford blind tagged himself in. Dawkins hit the anointment. And Ford went for the frog splash, but Jade got his knees up. They exchanged pinning combinations. Ford's ribs didn't let him climb the ropes quick enough. And the Usos took advantage with a super kick and an Uso splash. But Dawkins uh, broke it up at 2.8. The Usos then threw Dawkins into the barricade. But Ford flew over the ring post in a double tope splash. It was awesome. The crowd got on its feet as soon as he did it. Then he rolled Jimmy in for the frog splash, but he took too long to cover after hitting it because of his ribs, allowing Jay to make the save. Dawkins sacrificed himself for Ford, eating a double super kick, and the Usos took advantage with the super kick to Ford's ribs, a double super kick to his face, and a double Uso splash for the one, two, three in a clean win. This was an awesome match between two great tag teams. Ford getting his ass beat by the bloodline on SmackDown gave him and the Profits an out, yet they still got extremely close to winning. The heels were able to win completely clean, which is important on pay-per-views. And we saw a tremendous match between two of the best teams in WWE. And as far as I'm concerned, one of the best tag teams in the world in the Usos. I went four stars and an A- minus because this was basically perfect with plenty of psychology, but it was not in any way epic to deserve more yeah. than that. No, I, yeah, I, I had... um. I had predicted this to be match of the night. Um, it wasn't. It was close. Your, it was good. Your pick of uh, the main event was. But yeah, it was It was perfectly solid between two really good tag teams. And we kind of got what we, I think, expected in the end. But like you said, I think we know they could take it to an epic level if they want to. Um, clean Again, clean finish. Kind of surprised. But I think that the tape ribs coming off of SmackDown played into it well. And um, yeah, it worked. Now, the remaining announced match for the show, Liv Morgan against Carmella, was moved to the kickoff show, so we will discuss that last. Instead, they created a new match, New Day versus Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, and Omos. There was a brawl backstage upon arrivals at the arena that they showed us on video. I believe they showed it to us during the kickoff show, which makes you wonder, why were these six guys at a show when they didn't have a match on the card? But anyway... That set up the match, which was put as the opener, the pay-per-view opener. We also had English and French commentary simultaneously to start oh, the show, well, which yeah. was a technical disaster that we'll talk about later. Yeah. And my only other pre-match note is Xavier Woods' hair. And that is going to be a horror show. <laughs> How do you like that? Huh? Yeah, uh, I don't know what that was. Uh, someone mentioned it might have been a, a callback to the Fugees, which... Would make sense because that's gear that Biggie has been wearing recently. Um, but it was special. Let's just say that Xavier was here was special. Well, one other thing about the pre-show. I, I loved. Well, I, I mean, you have guys show up to Raw and SmackDown when they're not booked to have a match on the show. But it's so their they, brand. I, it's a three hour show. But I, I you know, I, I actually had the pre-show on while I was working and seeing people come into the building is something I always want to see yes, on agreed. TV and yeah, on yeah. pay-per-view. So the fact that we saw that and then some people kind of ran into each other and turned into a match, 
I, I actually liked how this came together. Oh, I, I want to clarify. Just because I pointed that out doesn't mean I didn't like it. I thought this was perfectly booked. There, there was obviously easy animosity between Biggie and Bobby Lashley and New Day and AJ Styles and Omos. So it made sense once they started brawling and Lashley got involved that you would make a six-man tag. So I had no issue with this at all. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I really liked how that came together. I'd love to see more like that. I, I, I want to yeah. see people coming into the show. I was just pointing out that they were backstage yeah. at a show that they weren't booked on. That, that's all yeah, I was yeah. saying. Okay, for the match. So New Day got over on Styles before Lashley and Omos tagged in. They dominated Kofi Kingston. He sold like hell for both of them. He He's one of the best sellers of all time, Kofi. He's awesome. Uh, Styles ate a cave in from Kofi. Lashley murdered Biggie outside. Woods caught Lashley with a step through DDT for a near fall. Lashley got up on him until Biggie got a super hot tag, hit a huge Uranagi on Styles for a near fall. This became Biggie versus Styles for like five minutes, but Kofi hit a blind tag and delivered an assisted avalanche cave in for a near fall that was broken at 2.5 by Lashley, who then hit a dominator on Kofi for a near fall of his own. Kofi leapfrogged Lashley's spear with Bobby flying out of the ring. Biggie assisted Kofi on a tope, but Omas caught him and Lashley hit Biggie with a face buster. Lashley was setting up for a spear when Styles tagged in, pissing him off. Lashley then tagged himself back in as Styles was on the top rope trying to do a phenomenal in the forearm. He missed, and then Lashley, when he came in, accidentally speared Styles, giving Biggie his opening to hit Lashley with the big ending for a second straight win over the ex-champion. This was an extremely fun match with a creative finish that surprisingly to me put Biggie over Lashley again but it yeah. also gave the former champion another built-in excuse for a six man that was not booked until like 20 minutes before it happened. I thought it over delivered at 3.75 stars and a B plus. And the only reason I even went that high for it is I loved the finish. I thought it was super creative with Lashley and Styles going back and forth, Lashley spearing Styles and Biggie being able to hit his finisher. Um, and it's not really a surprise, really, that I gave it a high grade, given the quality of wrestler in the match. It was also the second longest match on the entire show. So it they got the time to actually give us an entire storyline. My expectation, Chris, is that Lashley would be Biggie's first challenger, and it surely appears that he will be now. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But as far as this match goes, it rocked. Biggie is super over, and it was great to see him not only booked as a main eventer, but treated like a main eventer. Yeah, match was awesome. I mean, crowd was really into it. They love New Day. They love Big E. Back and forth, great stuff. I, I, unless I missed something, did we not get a Big E versus Omos one-on-one at all? Mm, I, I do not believe that. so. Because I was waiting for that. Because remember, we had the Lashley... Omas bit and it was like oh like oh man like I want to see these guys face to face we got that a couple weeks ago on Raw and that and that was a great moment and I was waiting for that here I was waiting for Biggie and Omas face to face just just tease it just tease it down the road I was surprised they didn't give it to it would have been great but match was still awesome didn't love that Lashley took the pin because that's now three times in two weeks he's been pinned. And now he's got a championship match on Monday that we assume he's not going to win. Um, I would have just had AJ take the pin here, but other than that, it was good. All right. So then after the match, Lashley screamed into a camera backstage, uh, demanding a match with Big E, calling him chicken shit and saying he wants to fight him one-on-one -on -one Monday night for the WWE title. Big E later accepted. Both promos were short and really good. Just really strong and to the point. Lashley getting his rematch to me makes sense. My assumption is that Monday on Raw, this ends in a DQ 
and we either get another, you know, tag team or six man match in the main event of Raw, given that's exactly what happened basically last week. Um, or we get it again, Biggie and Bobby Lashley at Blood Money in the Sand Six. Um, but this is going to be Biggie's first challenger, and he's every reason to deserve a rematch. He's motivated to get one. So to me, it makes total sense. Hopefully, this match doesn't happen uh, in Blood Money in the Sand Six. I have a feeling that's how it's going to transpire, though, on Monday night. Think about what you just said. You just said, I assume this is going to end in a DQ finish. Yep. How messed up is that? That's, it is. It that's is. not how it should be. That's it's not. Something- that's something that AEW specifically doesn't do for that exact reason. Correct. Like, and again, Lashley's been pinned three times in two weeks. So we know he's probably not going to be pinned here because we've seen it too much. So, and also, does he deserve a shot? He just got pinned again two times in a row. The yeah. last two matches he's been in, he's lost. I he was, yeah, but he, he, he was champion. He was champion I know. since I'm just saying, February. They didn't exactly. Did, they didn't exa- you know. They didn't just they didn't put him in a position where he's like, all right, I'm back up and ready to go. So it was could, the like, thing is, the thing is, if you're having the faces win, which I don't know that they needed to, by the way. Uh, but if you're having the faces win, it's Lashley or Styles that is going to take. the Yeah, ball. no. Now, and that's what I said. That's yeah. why I said that's why I said Styles should have done it. Lashley can be pissed at Styles for losing him the match. You know, I want my rematch. Sure, whatever. It's just it's I, I'm excited that we get a WWE championship match to open raw on Monday. Clearly again, a raw against Monday night football. They're trying to book us big matches and big matches to open the show, which I think is smart, Mm -hmm. but we just, we know, we know that Lashley's not going to win. So you have to have some sort of other creative way to make some sort of interesting finish. Yeah. And we will certainly, you know, find out what happens Monday night, but I did want to make sure we got that in. Because, you know, most of you are going to listen to the show before Raw. And then lastly, Liv Morgan versus Carmella on the kickoff show. So I have to talk about what happened on SmackDown be- before this because it I have to put it in context. Otherwise, it's just it's ridiculous. So on SmackDown, they had Liv Morgan against Zelina Vega. And that's because basically I forgot if it was Liv or if it was Zelina. But the week prior, it was said by one of them that in order to get to Carmella, you got to go through me. Maybe Zelina said it. Or said it, yeah. Okay, so that's what it was. So it was a fine way to set up a match, and it was a good way to give Liv Morgan a win going into a pay-per-view to build her up. That's why you would do something like yep. that. So the match starts, and Carmella comes out and lays across the desk like a model. Liv boots Zelina into the middle turnbuckle, and then Mella distracts her. Zelina then kicked her in the face, and hit a Canadian destroyer and beat Liv Morgan in two minutes and 20 seconds. (laughs) This was so fucking pathetic in every possible way. They had the person in the match on the pay-per-view lose. It was another sub three minute match. And I don't know when I'm going to do it. I'll go back and look. I don't think there's been a women's match on SmackDown that's been longer than three minutes in six weeks to two months, if not longer. Then on top of that, it was a two minute and 20 second match. The camera literally cut to Carmella six times while she was laying on the desk during the match before she interfered. Carmella, who was not competing in the match, was on screen longer than the people actually wrestling. It was like 
when Giannis was at AEW and they showed him on camera more than the people actually wrestling, except that's Giannis. This is Carmella. So the women in the announced match got more time for their entrances than they did for their wrestling. I thought as far as SmackDown was concerned, this was a new low and completely insulting. Zero yep. Point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yep, nothing else to add than that. Okay. So then on the pay-per-view, luckily things got way better, okay? So I was watching the end of the Dolphins game, and I was also watching this match simultaneously, which means I had not two but three commentaries going on at the same time because WWE had the English and Spanish audio feeds combined in a total technical flub. As far as the match, Mella cut a two-minute promo about being hot while Liv is not. She avoided Morgan's slingshot and move into the turnbuckle, but tripped Liv on the ring apron and super kicked her. Liv hit a running pump knee and a step up in Siguri before stomping Mella for a near fall. Liv countered with an X factor, uh, countered an X factor with a code breaker. And the fans were fully invested. They were all the way behind Liv. Liv countered Mella outside and then did her slingshot move because they weren't in the ring. She did it into the announce table and then added her springing face buster off the ropes for a one, two, three that really popped the crowd. This, Chris, is the exact type of match that WWE should be giving us every week on SmackDown. Okay? It was eight minutes of damn good wrestling. The crowd was fully invested. It had a purpose with Liv winning. The entire segment got like 15 minutes. The match was extremely fun. It was well wrestled. Liv totally got over and appears like she could work with anyone and maybe be the next face challenger on SmackDown. It was, I don't know, a 2.75 star C plus three star B minus match, something like that. But it was a really fun kickoff show match. And again, this is all we need each week on SmackDown. We don't need a 15, 20 minute, 20 minute epic with the women every week, but they should be getting legitimate time in the ring. This is an example of legitimate time in the ring and a well-booked match on a pay-per-view. And again, you said the crowd was into it. They loved it. Like like the, the whole idea of, oh, we don't want to book longer women segments because people aren't going to like it. Like they clearly are into it. They have been, they have been into live since the buildup to Money in the Bank two months ago, and they just have not pulled the trigger on her yet. I mean, now Sasha's back, so I don't, she's not going to contend for the title anytime soon. But like, I like go with this. It's it, 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 it's working. I'm glad they got the time in the pre-show, and it and it worked. But you're right, SmackDown women outside of that main event has been a problem. So Chris, that is WWE Extreme Rules. Before we get to the final grades. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about Peacock. Uh, Let me say my piece and then you can. First of all, the audio mix issues, it's honestly pathetic, okay? You're a multi-billion dollar company in Peacock. And by the way, you're also a multi-billion dollar company in WWE. And it's okay if you make a technical mistake. This shit happens, right? It's live TV. It's sports. Shit's difficult. It's not easy. I've seen it. I've been in the trucks before. Um, But you fix it in 30 seconds. It went on for minutes upon minutes. And then when they fix it, you're like, okay, good. Then the pay-per-view starts and it happens again with French audio and English audio. (laughs) I just couldn't believe, I can't believe that every time we have a WWE pay-per-view, Peacock finds another thing to fuck up. And then on top of that, and I know this was not the case for everyone, 
but it was the case for me. I got commercial breaks like six different times during the pay-per-view. Now, they were all in times where I technically didn't miss anything. Um, they were during entrances and, and uh, a Connor's Cure video package. I got a commercial break during it. And then, but but I also got one during Roman Reigns' entrance in the main yep. event. Now, granted, his entrance is 10 minutes long, so missing three minutes of it, not really the end of the world. But I know I am on the version of Peacock because I get it through Xfinity that would be the equivalent of $4.99 a month. So that's yep. a version of it that has ads in other shows. And I understand that and I know that going in. But I've also watched about eight months of WWE pay-per-views or however long they've been on there and never seen a single commercial break. And then all of a sudden, I get six of them in one night. Now, I get it. I'm not stupid. Uh, they want me to pay the extra $5 and or for anyone else who doesn't have Xfinity, the full $10 to get the no ad version of Peacock. But even with all of that said, it was ridiculous the number of ads that they put into a pay-per-view event. It was insulting. It was angering. And again, I didn't technically miss anything, but it actively took me out of the pay-per-view when I'm being given five or six ads, very short ads for Peacock shows that I don't want to see. I want to watch the WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, no, I mean, you summed it up there. It, it, a lot of people dealt with it. I dealt with it. I don't have Xfinity, but I do pay for the $5 a month one. So that's clearly what it was. Um, and in the end, does a commercial during the entrance mean all that much? No, but we already get WWE does its commercials in between matches. You're, you're just, you're doubling, in some cases, the amount of ads we're watching. And it's really annoying. So that was, um, this was very frustrating, um, especially in the main event when your champion is doing his entrance. Like, come on, G give us that one. Another one was Alexa Bliss's entrance. Um, the, the the audio issue, the fact that it came back with the main show, I think was really surprising. But I also popped when heading into the second match, we got... Uh, Michael Cole and Pat McAfee to kind of introduce themselves. Mm -hmm. And Pat McAfee starts speaking Spanish. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I was dying when he did that. That was a nice little, a nice little, you know, acknowledgement of what was going on. So again, I said it early, but Pat McAfee was great on this show. That was one of many examples. Let, let me Him give you Cole, one more. Let me give you one yeah. more. After the rope break that we just trashed, you know, Pat said on commentary, What's this Bush League? I think he said stuff, but he probably you know, on a show would have said shit because what's this Bush League stuff here with this rope break? So he acknowledged that what happened was ridiculous. Now, was that telling us that five days from now on SmackDown, they're going to explain it or have footage or show who the other person that Paul Heyman was on the phone with was someone in the ring crew who rigged the top rope? Maybe, maybe all that's going to happen. Maybe it's a planned storyline. Again, that doesn't change what happened in the moment when they could have shown us on television, oh, okay, they screwed him on purpose. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, McAfee was great. McAfee him was and Cole. Yeah. Him and Cole, honestly, I think are the best commentator team in wrestling right now. Part of that is because the two of them work great together. And McAfee just loves doing this job. And part of it is just two of them. We got four people over on Rampage. You got two here on SmackDown. Makes it so much better. So they were a highlight of the show as well. 
Okay, so that's our WWE Extreme Rules Instant Analysis, which means there's only one thing left on this show to get into our final grades for WWE Extreme Rules, the post-show grades. And we will start with you, our listeners. Very, very diverse poll results here, Chris. 11.6% of respondents thought Extreme Rules was an A show. 15.2% of respondents said it was a D to F show. And 38.4 and then 34.8% of respondents, respectively, said it was a B or C show. So let's, before we give our grades, and I always let you go first before me, let's talk about what the listeners thought. I don't see, you could hate that main event finish. I don't know how that finish makes it a DRF show in any way. This was not a terrible pay-per-view by any means. Do you agree with that or no? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that that's, I mean, that's a pretty big jump up, but no. Like usually we'll get a 4% D to F and that's usually trolling or whatever the case. But for it to be 15%, that's saying people, some people did not like this pay-per-view or, or they were just so negatively affected by the finish that it it adjusted their overall grade for the show to a significant degree. But I don't know how you can watch that show. And D to F to me is bad. I don't know how you no, can watch that show and say it was a bad pay-per-view. No, but people are giving their grades minutes after it ended and they, they were are coming off of in the heat of the moment, getting that type of finish. I think in the heat of the moment and in anger, some people would say that, but, you know, given another hour or so after after it, like we are recording it now, you feel la- a little less heated, but you know I- I'm I'm not surprised it jumped up to that because of that ending. Though. By the way, I just did the actual math. Like you know, I, I know I just read the numbers, but I just did the math. It's literally fifty percent AB, fifty percent C to F. So that's pretty wild that that's the mm-hmm. case. Uh, so Chris, I like I said, I let you go first. Uh, you know what the fans think. What is your final grade for WWE Extreme Rules? I. I'm trying to remember. And I will, and while you're thinking, I'll give you a second to think. Because mm-hmm. while you're thinking, I will admit to everyone, I'm letting you go for You always go first, but I'm letting you go first. And I'm really curious to see what you say because I have no idea what my grade is. Um, <laughs> because literally, I could go, honestly, my range is probably like A minus or B plus to like C. I, I can you fall are- anywhere in that range because. There were a lot of good things that happened that I really liked, as you can tell, based on my match grades. But at the same time, Chris, there was a lot of really disappointing shit, in particular, the finish right. of the main event. The the match, you, do, you, don't, you don't simply average up the match grades and that's your show. No. Like, there's there's Correct. more that goes into wrestling than the, the actual wrestling. And so I think coming in, I think you were in the, you expected a B plus and I was a B. I think I so. Think? I think so. And so I think I'm going to sit here at a at a B minus. It, it was about what I expected with two shitty finishes. Maybe one not so shitty, but one really bad finish. The main event. And I think that knocks it down to a B minus for me. Yeah. So I, I'm, the way I'm looking at it is, yeah, I don't just average my match grades. And that's not how anyone should do it. Because you can have good matches. But you can also not have a good pay-per-view. It can not be exciting. It cannot be particularly noteworthy from a storyline standpoint. I love the way this card was built from bottom to top. That's how it should always be. And 
I loved, honestly, the main event until the finish. And I, I was not bothered at all by the Sasha Banks run-in to end Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair because it made all of the sense in the world given what happened at SummerSlam. And given that there's a draft on Friday and clearly what I said I think is going to happen where whoever loses that triple threat will be the one drafted to Raw, if not two of the three are drafted to Raw. But at the same time, despite me liking so much, the finish was disappointing of the main event. And we had five title matches on a pay-per-view and there were no title changes. And that always sits with me a little weird because it's saying we invested all of this time to get you to this point. And I'm not expecting three or four title changes or even two, but they couldn't have changed one title on the entire show. They couldn't have built up one feud enough where this is the climax of it, where you say, okay, this is that moment that you're going to take away from the pay-per-view. This person won a championship on this show. To me, it tells me that WWE did not think Extreme Rules was an important pay-per-view. And if you're going to build a pay-per-view and then at the end tell me it's not important, then I'm not going to feel like it was important coming out of it. And that's exactly how I feel coming out of it. So I'm really right in that same zone as you. Despite me being very positive about the the ring work and the matches that I saw, I'm in that B minus to C plus category. And I think I'm going to err with the the, uh, B minus because I did like the ring work so much. And really that main event, it was freaking awesome up until Mm -hmm. that finish. It really, really really was a great main event. And the Bianca Belair Becky Lynch match was great too. And the match that preceded it, the triple threat match was great. So I don't know that I could like so much about the show and be so negative about it to then put it in a C range or lower. So I'm actually going to agree with you. I think this was a a B minus pay-per-view from WWE, which is actually a disappointment given again, we talked about it when we were talking about our expectation grade, WWE has actually over-delivered on pay-per-views. I think it was like Backlash where we went in and we're like, this is going to be a B minus show. This is going to suck. And we're like an A minus or an A before we like when it ended, when we did the instant analysis. So it's really a change of pace from WWE where they usually over-deliver on pay-per-views, at least recently in the last 12 to 14 months. This is the first time in a long time they truly under-delivered, but it was by virtue of one booking decision. If they had Balor win that title, given everything else happening exactly the same way, I probably would have been a full letter grade higher. I probably would have been an A minus for this show. Yeah. And and to your point about no title changes, that was something I, I picked in, in the preview. That's also, we got, we've had two or three title changes in the last two or three weeks on TV. We have a new WWE champion. We have new women's tag team champions. And on SmackDown, we got a new, um, uh, uh, did Apollo win on SmackDown? No, he did not. He the Shinsuke no, he lost. I'm sorry, but we had a championship match on SmackDown as well. So it's like these things are happening in different ways, and that in itself made the pay per view not feel as big of a deal because we're getting the changes there too. So, yeah, that's it's kind of my same feeling. So, Chris, before we get out of here, I want to talk about the schedule, uh, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast schedule this upcoming week. And I honestly, I'm going to break the fourth wall. We're just going to talk about it here right now. Okay. Um, so originally we were going to talk the fallout from extreme rules, everything that happens on raw. And we were going to go over dark side of the ring. 
okay, on Tuesday's show. But here's the thing. A lot of stuff happened on SmackDown that had nothing to do with the pay-per-view. I have one, two, three, four. I have six different segments. Actually, I have seven different good, bad, and ugly segments that I want to talk about on Tuesday's show. So when you combine that with Raw, we know we're going to have a title match. I think the show is going to be too loaded. And then on top of that, we also have the WWE draft coming up on Friday. So what do you think on Tuesday's show, we stick to SmackDown and Raw like normal. We still watch Dark Side of the Ring. We give a very special WWE mock draft episode. We talk Dark Side of the Ring. We make it grand total of 60 minutes and we give an extra episode this week to our listeners. Wait, which one is the extra episode? The extra episode would be WWE mock draft and dark side of the ring. Okay. So that, um, I think I can do that. Um, we'll figure out the day. So, I don't know what day it's going to yeah, be. We'll figure it yeah. out. So we, yeah, cause we, so draft, we just, we're just essentially going to draft rosters, right? That's what we did last time. I think. Yeah. But maybe we'll put some rules in there. Like we can only pick five people each, you know, like we'll, we'll keep it relatively yeah, we contained and yeah, we'll yeah. say like, maybe you can't change champions and you can only do one person from each division or something like that. But we'll do it in a way where we try to enhance both rosters, but do it in a mock draft style. Yeah, that works. Okay. We'll, I, yeah. We'll, fig- we'll figure out the dates. We'll announce the schedule on Tuesday show. So this coming Tuesday on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we'll break down everything else that happened on SmackDown, as well as the fallout from Extreme Rules on Raw. And then at some point between Wednesday and Thursday next week, uh, one of those days, We'll have AEW and NXT full breakdowns of those shows. The uh, We'll be talking about Rampage Grand Slam as well as AEW Dynamite, plus the third edition of the brand new NXT. And then one of those days, we will have a very special WWE mock draft and Dark Side of the Ring, Plane Ride from Hell combined episode. Just to give you guys a little bit of extra content, we'll try to keep the shows short because we know that you know having three episodes to listen to in a given week is a lot. We'll do our best. Chris and I are also very busy schedule-wise. We will do our absolute best to keep things concise and get you guys rolling into the week with plenty of great professional wrestling audio. So that's it, folks. That was the WWE Extreme Rules Instant Analysis Podcast. I appreciate you all listening. Do not forget that getting over. So please... Whether you thought WWE Extreme Rules was great or whether you thought no matter what you thought about the pay-per-view, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating for us and leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. Let people know how much you love our pay-per-view instant analysis podcast. Every single review and every single rating really helps us significantly. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet about every show, we drop new episodes on Twitter, but we also do live shows ahead of pay-per-views like we did for this one. We did a 30-minute live show on Twitter Spaces um, before the WWE Streamers kickoff show. We had a bunch of people listening. Uh, people were able to ask questions and join in. It was a ton of fun. And the way you can get that is by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So that's it for tonight. It has been a long night a long weekend and a long week. So for Vintage Christmas this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and I am leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.